Hello and welcome to Valley West Cinemas. I'm your host Aaron, and this is the podcast where we take a group of related films and eliminate all but three. I have my list and my red pen ready because today we're discussing the films nominated for Best Picture from 2018 to 2020. The films we'll be discussing today are Nomadland, The Father, Judas and the Black Messiah, Trial of the Chicago 7, Mank, Minari, Promising Young Woman, Sound of Metal, 1917, Ford vs. Ferrari, The Irishman, Jojo Rabbit, Parasite, Joker, Little Women, Marriage Story, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, Green Book, Black Panther, Black Klansman, Bohemian Rhapsody, The Favorite, Roma, A Star is Born, and Vice. So let's talk about the Oscars. The Academy Awards have lost their shine, their luster. Some people feel it's become too political. I would argue that it's not necessarily a matter of politics, but more human nature. As an individual voting for Oscars, sometimes you might say like, oh, this person should have won last year, and so you're going to vote for them this year, even if this year isn't necessarily the best performance. That's not really a matter of politics. You, you just can't help human nature. One example I always go back to is Russell Crowe for Gladiator. Gladiator is not the best acting performance of that year, but Russell Crowe won that Oscar because people realized that he should have won for The Insider. Or when Return of the King won Best Picture, Return of the King wasn't the best picture that year, and it wasn't even the best Lord of the Rings movie. It's only that the Fellowship of the Ring and the Two Towers had not won, and so Return of the King swept. And you may or may not like Return of the King. We'll get to that in another episode, but there are instances like that where it's not a matter of politics. I don't really think politics come into it with the Oscars. Some people would argue that. I know a lot of people were angry when Parasite won, especially when you have a lot of these internet neckbeards screaming about how great the Joker is. Well, chances are most of those people probably haven't actually seen Parasite. Parasite didn't win Best Picture as some attempt for the Academy to right certain wrongs. If it was about politics and it was about appearance, then Chadwick Boseman would have won Best Actor and not Anthony Hopkins. And the Academy foolishly <laughs> foolishly uh, changed the order that the awards are presented in. They actually awarded Best Picture before Best Actor, and they saved Best Actor for last, assuming that Chadwick was going to win. And then the whole thing just ended on this wet noodle moment. They made the mistake of trying to change things in order to appeal to an audience, so that, that can't happen. Before we start eliminating films, let me just say, aside from slightly differing opinions, for the most part, all of these films are considered to be good films. They were nominated for Best Picture. That's not something that's incredibly easy to come by. Maybe not the greatest, maybe not your favorite, and maybe not the best. But chances are, they're at least pretty good. At least enough people thought so for them to be nominated. As for me, I'm a big fan of the Oscars. I love watching them every year. It's an event night for me. I make a day of it. I buy treats and drinks I don't normally get for myself. And I watch the show with great pleasure. That being said, the last few years of the broadcast, the actual awards show on television, have been pretty bad. I don't understand what's going on. But the quality of an awards show on television doesn't change the quality of the awards or the films. In regards to the films today, we are going to have to get a little nitpicky because, as, as I said, these are all good movies. Some to a lesser or greater extent, but they're all good. It's not like I can just wave my hand across 80% of Stephen King movies and say, they're fine. <laughs> you know, it's, it's not quite that simple. The films nominated at the Academy Awards are usually nominated for Golden Globes, end-of-year top 10 lists, things like that, it's very rare that a movie is honored at the Oscars and not also honored somewhere else. So we're going to have to get a little nitpicky. And right off the bat, and hopefully this doesn't anger too many people, I'm going to eliminate last year's winner, Nomadland. Nomadland is the kind of movie where I just did not enjoy watching it. And that's not to say it's bad. 
and clearly connected with a lot of people. If they wanted to go for the documentary approach and maybe perhaps film a documentary, then that could actually be interesting and very touching. The best parts of the movie were the parts where they actually talked to real people. I could see what they were attempting, but mixing the fictional characters with this non-fiction felt disingenuous to me. I imagine the filmmakers thought that they were doing some sort of love letter to the people living this life. But to me, it was just an unhappy experience. And there is something to say about films giving you that reaction. Schindler's List is not a happy movie, but it's still cinematic. Nomadland takes a recognizable actor and plugs her into the reality of, of true human beings. And it, it just felt so disingenuous. Maybe if the lead actor had been a nobody, maybe if I wasn't completely aware that they were acting, then maybe I could have connected more. Maybe I could have had that emotional reaction. But for most of Nomadland, I was just wondering why I was watching this. I just wanted it to end. It might be unfair to say this, but I kind of wonder if Nomadland won because everyone kept saying that it was the front runner, that it was going to win. So maybe voters thought, well, if it's going to win, I may as well just vote for it too. So I'm crossing off Nomadland, and hopefully that's okay with everyone. We're going to stay with 2020 for right now, and I'm going to eliminate Mank. I like David Fincher. I like Gary Oldman. I like movies about Hollywood. But Mank is overlong. The characters aren't very likable. And while black and white cinematography can be very, very beautiful, and we'll touch on that with another film in a second, a lot of Mank just comes off as kind of pretentious. It feels like there are gaps in the film where there should be scenes to let us know these characters just a little bit more. Maybe not necessarily know them, but give us a reason to care. You're making a movie about the writing of Citizen Kane. It should be better than this. And I think Mank really only got all the Oscar nominations because, like me, I guess, Hollywood likes movies about movies. They do, so those tend to win awards. I'm going to jump down to 2018 and probably uh, anger (laughs) a few people. Uh, Well, first off, very easily, the best picture winner for 2018, Green Book. It's fine. Green Book is fine. It's entertaining. Some people were mad about the misrepresentation of the facts of the situation, but I can't speak to what is or isn't true that's in the film. Some people were mad about the seemingly white savior stereotype. The perspective of the film does sort of spend more with Viggo Mortensen's character than with Mahershala Ali's character. But when people use the term Oscar bait, meaning films that seem to have been manufactured to win awards, that term is always used in a negative sense because when you think about it really any film, especially any award-winning film, could be considered Oscar bait, but the term is used in a negative way, usually meant to designate failures, movies that were manufactured to win awards and then didn't get any, so they were busted Oscar bait. Green Book seems like it was an Oscar bait film that actually succeeded. And it's nice. It's a nice film, but it's not the best picture of the year. Not by, not by any stretch. I'm also going to eliminate Roma. Roma was the movie I was referring to earlier about beautiful black and white cinematography. Roma is a beautiful film. And unfortunately, though, being in black and white and maybe just simply myself not being aware of what Mexico used to look like, but the set design, the art design, the photography of Roma are all fantastic. The story is a little dry. It's a very personal film from the director. It's essentially about his childhood, but there's not a great deal of story. You're being invited in to watch the lives of these people. And if that works, then that's great. But for me, Roma is one of those films that's hard to watch in one sitting. It's good, it has gorgeous photography, but I do have to eliminate it. The next one from 2018 I'm going to eliminate is Bohemian Rhapsody. So Bohemian Rhapsody, being the story of Freddie Mercury, is almost entirely fictional. There's so much of that film that is just completely 
untrue to life. I think Rami Malek did a great job. You might argue that lip syncing isn't really acting, but if you watch his performance, he sells it. He is stellar in that film. But if you separate the life from the art on its own as a film, I like Bohemian Rhapsody, but there's definitely an argument to be made that the music does all the heavy lifting. If you like Queen's music, the way it's used in the film, it's like hearing a song you love come on the radio. And that's most of what Bohemian Rhapsody is. But if that's a hurdle you can't get past, like there's some films where there's a core concept like Fast and the Furious. <laughs> if, you, if you can't get past their version of physics, you're just never going to connect to it. If you can't get past how false Bohemian Rhapsody is, then you're probably just never going to accept the film. And that's fine. The one genre I like the least is biographical films or biopics. Because they're always one of two styles. They're either trying to cover a lot of material spanning years, and so it comes off as one giant clip show, or boo-hoo, I'm so famous and miserable and on drugs. Those are most of the biographical pictures. One of the better ones is Lincoln, the Steven Spielberg movie with Daniel Day-Lewis playing Abraham Lincoln. What I liked about that one is it just covers four months of this person's life. It's not a movie about Lincoln's life. It's about that period in his life, which I appreciate. Bohemian Rhapsody does go the other way, like the clip show way, and that normally would annoy me. But like I said, the Queen music does a lot of the heavy lifting. Speaking of biographical pictures, I will also eliminate Vice from 2018. It's kind of funny how it's only been a few years, and even when putting this list together, I had a moment of pause where I was thinking, Vice? Like, I didn't remember what this was. Vice is the biopic about George W. Bush's vice president, Dick Cheney. I didn't really like Vice. Part of my issue, and this may just be the fault of my own, but going off of the trailers and going into the film, I thought it was about his experience under the Bush administration. It really is more like the clip show style of biopic where it's about the events leading up to what put Dick Cheney in that position of vice president. When I saw Vice in theaters and I realized, oh, okay, that's the story they're telling. But the clip show style biopic, just it didn't work for me. And it didn't have the Queen music. <laughs> so if Vice had more Queen music, then maybe I would speak more positively about it. The next one I'm going to cross off might be the most divisive. Black Panther should not have been nominated for Best Picture. I enjoyed the movie, and we'll go into more detail about it when we get to a Marvel episode. But Black Panther wasn't even the best Marvel movie of 2018. Every year, there's usually one hugely successful movie that makes it into the Best Picture category. And there's definitely an argument to be made about the biggest movie of the year being nominated for Best Picture because clearly America voted with their money. This is the movie that people wanted to see the most, so how could that not also be one of the best? That makes you kind of have to question, what does the best in Best Picture actually mean? If everyone loved it, does that not mean it's the best? A lot of the nominees end up being these very low-budget, low-grossing art house films that people haven't heard of. I guarantee that half the people listening to this probably haven't heard of Roma or Minari or maybe even Marriage Story. But I'm looking at the list and most of these movies are smaller movies. So the question of financial success equaling best, well, I mean, that's tough. Because on one hand, there are plenty of good movies that fail and there are plenty of terrible movies that make a ton of money. So who's to say if that's a basis for judgment that's fair? But when a movie is so hugely successful... Black Panther made $700 million in the United States. It made more money than Infinity War. When Avengers Infinity War came out, Black Panther was still in the top five at the box office. That's incredible. But with a podcast like this, I have to weigh favorite versus best versus most important. 
It's not my favorite. I don't think it's the best. But it is important. No matter how you feel about the movie, even if you absolutely hate Black Panther, you cannot deny how much people love this film. That's just a given. That's not something that can be argued. People love this movie. So we haven't eliminated anything from 2019 yet. I'm going to cross off 1917. There's an expression of praise I like to use called a feat of production. And 1917 is absolutely one of those movies. If you care anything about how movies are made, watching 1917 is thrilling. Watching it and reflecting on the setups required and the how did they do that aspect of the film, it really is amazing. Digesting 1917 and all that went into making that film is a film class of itself. It really is incredible. It's made to look like it was all done in one take. The camera never breaks. And they use trickery, of course, but a lot of it required elaborate planning. But unfortunately, I think that the very nature of the way the story is told limits the story. There's only so much film you can get from an unbroken shot of two people walking. The concept on its own can only go so far. It has incredible set pieces, but there's not a whole lot of story there. And I do just want to remind you that These are good movies. I have personal preferences, of course. Anyone who watches a movie is going to have a personal preference. But these are all good movies, and I do have to be nitpicky. And so my nitpick for 1917 is the story is a little light. And also, too, it it may be worth noting that I've never wanted to watch it again. I try to revisit a great number of films, and I've just never had the desire to ever watch 1917 again. So take that for whatever it's worth. The next one I'm crossing off is Marriage Story. Marriage Story is such a sad an incredibly acted movie. Scarlett Johansson and Adam Driver are so amazing in it. The film does come off a bit too much, kind of like a play. And when someone compares a movie to a play, that's usually code for boring. I can't say that I was bored during Marriage Story. I can say that I don't think Laura Dern deserved her Oscar for that. I do think that that was more of a career award than an actual award for that performance. Adam Driver and Scarlett Johansson, they are so good in this film. There's only so much I can take with, you know, watching a marriage crumble. <laughs> you know, it's not, it's not exactly happy times, but they are so good in it. It may be a little boring for some because it really is just watching a marriage crumble. I have mad respect for it. I've never wanted to go back to it. The next one I'm crossing off is also from 2019, Little Women. Little Women was directed by Greta Gerwig. I like her a lot. She's done some great work both in front of and behind the camera. Little Women is very well made, but it's one of those properties where they seem to do a new version every few years, and I just don't know what the point is. Because even A Star is Born is on this list, which has been made four times, but each version is arguably a little bit different in the presentation of characters. But watching the new Little Women just felt like watching a rerun. I had never seen this movie, but it seemed like I had already seen this movie. It's like Gus Van Sant remaking Psycho, When he did that as a shot-for-shot remake, you can't help but wonder what's the point. That one was at least a curious experiment. It was terrible, but it was an interesting experiment. I don't know why they thought we needed another Little Women. If they had thought of a way to bring the material to the screen in a different way, then sure. But otherwise, as it stands, I just don't see the point. I'm starting to feel bad eliminating these. (laughs) these, uh, Uh, Because it sounds like complaining, but I really don't mean it like that. I really don't because, again, I mean, broken record, they're good movies. Here, Okay, so here, I'll say this then. If you've never seen a version of Little Women, watch the 2019 Greta Gerwig film. Watch it. But if you've seen, like, five other versions of Little Women, then no, you can skip it. I'm going to cross off Sound of Metal. 
Sound of Metal is good. Again, nitpicky, just going to have to do it. Sound of Metal is more about the acting and the performances. The performances are so good, but it's not a lot of movie, if that makes sense. I'm also going to cross off Minari. It's about family hardship. It's about a Korean family trying to build a farm in, uh, I want to say Arkansas. I don't entirely remember the state. And Minari does a good job balancing the sad with the sweet. It's a very good film. So why cross it off? Uh, well, because there can be only three. Also from 2020, I'm crossing off The Trial of the Chicago 7. I know some people are getting a little tired of Aaron Sorkin's success and his particular style of dialogue. If you ever watched his show, The West Wing, you know what I mean, where it's just people walking down a hallway, talking very quickly, very intelligently, far beyond probably how people talk in real life. And it's starting to backfire a little bit. Most of the impression I got with Trial of the Chicago 7 was that it's good, but nobody really loved it. And I would kind of fall in that, into that group as well. It was good, and the dialogue was very Aaron Sorkin. The dialogue was good. But even with some of the dialogue taken from actual court transcripts, it comes off as a little heavy-handed and cartoony, which may or may not be the fault of the writer and director, but it is the fault of the writer and the director. They're making the movie, real life or not. Even if you're recreating real life, you're also making a film. I liked watching The Trial of the Chicago 7. And being on streaming, when you watch a movie on streaming, because that movie went straight to Netflix, when you're watching a movie at home, you have your phone, you can get up to go to the bathroom pretty easily, you can pause it, you can finish the movie later, you can control your environment. And to me, streaming will never replace the experience of going to a cinema. When you're sitting in a movie theater watching a film, the way you absorb that material is completely different from watching it at home. Seriously, think about it. Any TV show or movie that you watched on streaming never stays with you the way a movie in theaters does because the way you absorb those films is vastly different. The next film I'm going to eliminate from 2020 is Promising Young Woman. Now, I like this movie a lot. I, I really, really, really enjoy Promising Young Woman. And this might be a strangely vague criticism, but I feel like Promising Young Woman was missing that one little spark, that one little thing that would change it from being really good to being great. Carrie Mulligan should have won the Best Actress Oscar for that movie. She is excellent. I like Bo Burnham quite a bit. The movie clearly has a message, but there's just something not quite exactly there. That being said, has a hell of an ending, that's for sure. All right, so turning our attention back to 2019, I'm going to cross off Joker. I think the praise for Joker was a slight overreaction to the surprise of it being as good as it was. Joaquin Phoenix was, was, was awesome in that movie. And some people will complain that the movie rips off Taxi Driver. I don't really care about that. The aesthetics of the film are fantastic. They really captured that look of, of New York or, well, Gotham. <laughs> I mean, you know, let's call it what it is. I mean, they probably filmed it in Toronto. I don't know. But I think Joker just exists in that void where, yeah, it's really good, but that's it. From 2019, I'm also crossing off The Irishman. The Irishman, I actually think, is one of Martin Scorsese's best movies. Its length doesn't do it any favors. Some of the CG to make Robert De Niro younger doesn't succeed the way they probably thought that it was going to. Part of the problem is when you de-age a 70-year-old's face, they still physically move like a 70-year-old person. So when you see a younger Robert De Niro moving around like he's 50 years older than the character he's supposed to be at that time, some of the illusion is broken. <laughs> you know, And, that, and again, that, that might be super nitpicky, and I don't even know if anyone else necessarily noticed, but there's a part in the movie where he's beating some guy up 
and you watch it and it's like yeah that that is a that is a senior citizen's body <laughs> you know with a younger face but i do like the irishman it had a lot of story to tell i don't know what they would have cut to make it shorter roger ebert once said that no bad movie is too short and no good movie is too long and the irishman is a good movie but it was too long the next one i'm crossing off is jojo rabbit taika watiti did the impossible and he made a world war 2 nazi comedy and Jojo Rabbit is hilarious. And the moment, oh man, the moment with his mom in the shoes. Oh man, that's that was a sucker punch. I like Jojo Rabbit quite a lot. But do I like it enough to keep it? I feel bad eliminating it, I do. We don't have a lot of films left, so every elimination is going to sting a little bit. And Jojo Rabbit stings. I love when Scarlett Johansson pretends to be Jojo's dad and rubs the ash on her face to look like a beard. To me, that's the best moment of the film. And she was nominated, too, for an Oscar. That was, this is was the same year as Marriage Story. So Scarlett Johansson was nominated for Best Actress for Marriage Story and Best Supporting Actress for Jojo Rabbit. She lost both. I feel like she should have won both. I think she was the strongest, both for Marriage Story and Jojo Rabbit. It would be a heck of a thing if she won both categories in one year. That would be, that would be bonkers. The next one I'm crossing off is The Favorite. One of the director's previous films is called The Lobster, and also he did The Killing of a Sacred Deer. I prefer both of those movies to The Favorite. It's a little disorienting at first. If you don't know what to expect going into those films, they're odd. He had an even earlier film called Dogtooth that he made in Greece that I highly recommend. Odd is a great word for it and brilliantly strange. The Favorite is his most accessible film. The biting humor that his films have is present in The Favorite. It's a very funny movie. We're at that point where I don't really want to get rid of any of these, but we have to. Let's take stock of what's left. From 2020, we have The Father and Judas and the Black Messiah. From 2019, we have Ford vs. Ferrari, Parasite, and Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. And from 2018, we have Black Klansman and A Star is Born. Oh, man. <laughs> uh, nervous laughter. This is going to be tough. I don't feel like any answer is the right answer. I'll go ahead and tell you one of my three right now, and it probably wouldn't be the most popular opinion, but I'm keeping Ford vs. Ferrari. It's one of those movies that gets better every single time you watch it. I liked it a lot the first time I saw it, and then I just had this nagging feeling to see it again, and I saw it again, and I really loved it. And it's one of those examples of a biopic that isn't about the entirety of someone's life. It's about one moment in time in the lives of true people. It's such an exciting, feel-good movie. I would almost say I have no complaints. The only problem I have with Ford vs. Ferrari is that Josh Lucas plays this cartoony villain it's a little too on the nose. Other than that, though, I 100% highly recommend Ford vs. Ferrari, and that is one of the surviving films. That is one of the three that will make it today. So that only leaves room for two. I just love A Star is Born so much. I really do. That is also one of those movies that I've been able to revisit over and over again. It's strange how it's the same story and so good when the last version with, with, with Streisand is so bad. Between A Star is Born and Black Klansman, though. Yeah, I gotta cross off Black Klansman. I'm a fan of Spike Lee. I have an episode of his filmography planned as well. As far as his last few years of output, I feel like The Five Bloods is the better film. That one was sadly overlooked at the 2020 Oscars. I was rooting for The Five Bloods and then it ended up getting really no nominations, which is a shame. If The Five Bloods had been on this list, it would have made it. Black Klansman is good. It's funny. I do think that the tone... Ah, oh, man, this is... How do I nitpick Black Klansman? It's a good movie. Um... I guess I would say that I wish that it was either funnier or more dramatic. I think the film tries to balance message with comedy, 
I, I wish Black Klansmen either made me laugh more or made me feel more. For 2019, though, Parasite and Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, oh man, and with The Stars Born left over as well, that doesn't look good for the 2020 films, The Father and Judas and the Black Messiah. Man, they are both good. I didn't see The Father until after the Oscars, until after Anthony Hopkins had won Best Actor. It is good. The movie is about a man who has, has dementia, and it's told from his perspective. And so it jumps around with different actors playing the same characters as a representation of the way he sees the world. And it's such a good movie. And Judas and the Black Messiah is such a heartbreaking movie. Both of them are heartbreaking in vastly, vastly different ways. But with Parasite, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, and Stars Born still left, I can't keep either of those. So I'm going to cross off The Father and Judas and the Black Messiah. Parasite is a master of balancing tone, the humorous and the dark. The first hour of the movie is this family instilling themselves into the lives of a rich family, and then it takes a drastic turn. Parasite is the one that I'd probably want to rewatch the least, but arguably it is the better film. Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, though, is so well made. It gets a little silly with its revisionist history, but it's so entertaining. Leonardo DiCaprio is a hoot. <laughs> Brad Pitt, uh, Stone Brad Pitt fighting off uh, Charlie Manson's hoodlums. Man, that is a tough call. I love the art direction of Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, the way they recreated 1960s Hollywood. It, it's incredible. For a movie that's as long as it is, I, I, it's, it's very, very easy to revisit. I do think that Tarantino needs an editor, though. When people write, direct, and produce their own films, they usually don't have somebody standing over them, telling them what to do. But if they have an editor that they trust, then there's at least a second voice that can help shape the film. And Tarantino had that. His movies all the way up through the Kill Bill films had the same editor. And then they died. And then after that, you get Django Unchained, Hateful Eight, and Once Upon a Time in Hollywood that are all arguably too long. So I'm wondering if Tarantino doesn't have someone over his shoulder anymore that he trusts saying, you need to trim stuff. Oh man, this this sucks. <laughs> I don't want to. Oh man, I don't want to get rid of rid of any of these. All right. Um, between Parasite, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, and A Star Is Born, I'm gonna cross off A Star Is Born. And the simplistic excuse for that is maybe the last half hour isn't the best. I would say the first two thirds of A Star Is Born was the best movie of that year. Absolutely. And maybe the last little bit doesn't entirely stick the landing. And so yeah. Now playing this week at Valley West Cinemas are Ford vs. Ferrari, Parasite, and Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. What do you think? Let us know on Twitter at VWestCinemas. If you'd like to support the show, please visit patreon.com slash valleywestcinemas. And of course, please rate and review wherever you listen to this. Those reviews help us so very much. I'm your host, Aaron, and thank you for listening.